would you please take your copy of the Word of God and let's look at Matthew chapter 12. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading that here in just a little bit. But I want to open with these words to try to get us thinking along the lines of where I'd like to go this morning with this. Uh, Many years ago, I was talking with a professional man in our community, and somehow we got off on a theological topic and a biblical issue. And I was explaining my stand to him and where I was on that particular issue. And I don't need to tell you the issue because it will all work out and understand this anyway. But uh, what's happening is that I'm talking to him about something I believe and hold to very firmly. And uh, he disagreed with my stand on that. And he wanted, uh, he wanted me not to hold that subject in, uh, in a high regard, if you will. He didn't want me to uh, push it or use it as a part of my daily life. But I was of the opinion that because I thought that's what God said, that that's what God meant, and that's what we should do. And I remember near the end of the conversation, he looked at me and he said, okay, well, I understand, Greg, where you're coming from, but where's grace in that? I might have used the word mercy, but where's mercy in that, Greg? Your stand on this biblical issue, this theological issue, where's the grace in that if you apply that to people's lives? Well, today's passage brings up that issue and that question. And uh, it's not easy to deal with. If God tells us to do something in the Word of God, right, He, He has it in black and white, or if you will, He tells us to take a certain attitude on some subject uh, theologically that that affects our lives, do we have the right to nullify it if we don't think that it is a compassionate stand? Now let me try to explain what I'm talking about one more time. We have the Word of God. It's written for us. We can see what it says in black and white. It tells us what God wants and what God doesn't want. It is very clear when he says, you shall not or you will. And that's uh, in the Bible everywhere. Is there a time where I can say that I know he says thou shalt not, but because of mercy, because of compassion for this person, we're just going to forego the word of God and we're going to just talk about uh, what your need is at the moment. And that's the issue here. And it's not as easy as one might think. Um, Justin read uh, verse 7 for us. I'm going to read it again. Jesus has just been attacked by the Pharisees again over something the disciples did. And it says, but if you had known this statement, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And if you go back to uh, the book of Hosea and chapter 6 and verse 6, you'll see where that came from. I want to read from verse 4 in Hosea 6 to give us the flavor of this. God is talking, what shall I do with Ephraim? What shall I do do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. So God is saying you have a loyalty problem with me. Therefore, if I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets and I have stained them by the words of my mouth, slain them by the words of my mouth, and the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth, God then interrupts himself and says this, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. So if I have the option to sacrifice something to God or to be loyal to God, and we'll have an illustration of that later, I should choose loyalty to God. God says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. See, people can go through empty religious movements 
in churches today, and they can sing the songs, and they can pray the prayers, and they can listen to the message, and if their heart isn't in it, and their heart's away from it, then uh, you haven't been loyal to God. And God would rather that instead of playing church, you were loyal to Him. He goes on to say, and I'm taking an Old Testament text, you know, and, and talking about the church. And he says, I also delight in the knowledge of God rather than offerings. In other words, the ritual that we do is not as important to God as to why we're doing it and our loyalty and our knowledge of God. So this uh, verse from Hosea 6.6 was meant to overrule uh, clear commands or theological concepts because they don't seem gracious or compassionate. Is that really true? Does God say if something doesn't seem gracious or compassionate to you, and I happen to know there's a lot of things in the Bible that we uh, tell people are the rules of God that they don't like, and because they don't like it, they don't want to do it, and they're saying, well, if you force that on me, you're not being compassionate to me. Is that really the issue? Well, here's an example. Let's say you had a friend that wanted to steal something that they really wanted, but they just didn't have the money to buy it. So they said, I, I, I need to steal it. And you say that stealing in the Bible is something that we can't do. We're not supposed to do it. And she replies to you, but you know I need that for my happiness, and I don't have the money. Why is everything so rigid with you? Don't you have any compassion? Don't you have any mercy? I don't have the money, but I want it. So why can't I have it? And if a person doesn't believe that you're being compassionate to him or her, does that demand a change in God's instruction? In other words, if just because what I said you think is not compassionate, should I then say, well, let's just erase what God said in his word? And hopefully that makes you cringe a little bit even to think about that. Does it automatically override God's directives? And when does it come into play? Because it's obviously in the text before us this morning. So when does it come into play? Let's look at it together. Uh, Matthew 12:1. At that time, Jesus went throughout the went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. All right, so picture this. Here's Jesus and the disciples. It's the Sabbath, and they're walking through somebody's grain fields. And the disciples became hungry. That word hungry is going to be very important for us. And began to pick the heads of grain and to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done that a thousand times uh, with weed, especially and stuff. And you grab a handful and you smush it down in your hand, and you get the you get the seed to separate from the chaff, and you blow it away, and you have you have wheat in your hand or or whatever it is that you're messing with, corn, whatever it is. And you just pop that in your mouth. We used to do that to say, well, how hard is it, or is it too wet yet? And uh, what, what shall we do? But they're doing that, and they're eating. Why? Because they're hungry. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw this, you just got to wonder if they don't have spies paid to follow Jesus all over the place and watch every little thing that Jesus does. Cause they, they just show up everywhere. The Pharisees saw this, and they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read? <laughs> Which is a real slap in the face to the people that are the religious leaders who have these books memorized. Of course they've read it. Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions. How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, that's the show bread within the, in the holy place, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself. 
But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So he's also saying, my disciples are innocent of doing anything wrong, but you're condemning them, and you're wrong about what you're saying about me as well. So let's break this down a little bit, because I think this comes up in life quite often, when you're trying to hold the line on what God says that should happen, and, and somebody just wants to throw out the, and use the uh, you're not compassionate or gracious uh, card. And by the way, uh, there is there is a card like that, if I put it that way. We learn in verses 1 and 2 that at times other people may accuse us of committing sin against God. Sometimes people are watching your life and they're picking out things and they say, oh, uh, I noticed you did this wrong the other day or you did that wrong the other day. And they accuse us of committing sin against God. The question is going to be, did I or did I not? And that's the issue. So Jesus is with his men. They're walking through somebody's grain field. It's the Sabbath day, for sure, that's, and that's undeniable. And his disciples are hungry. So, you know, if you're walking through a wheat field and you're hungry, I would think it'd just be natural to get some in your hand, thresh it, and throw some in your mouth. And that's what they were doing. And the Pharisees saw this and said, look what they're doing. You know what they're doing? They're working on the Sabbath. Why? Because they're threshing grain. That's harvesting. And that's forbidden. So you're, you're breaking the law of God. And so Jesus, walking through this standing grain field, uh, he and his men are hungry. And it is the Sabbath. We're not going to dispute that. The religious leaders are pretty obsessed about what Jews do on the Sabbath. And they watch that like hawks. The disciples are hungry. Again, that's the key word. They're hungry. They have an actual physical need. You get that? They're hungry. And they're walking in the grain fields. You know, really the Bible doesn't say much about it. I know they had a treasure box. But I often wondered... How did these guys, you know, even have food in the first place, walking around with Jesus and living in, uh, you know, makeshift tents and stuff like that all over the country? It had to be by people giving, so it's not like they had a sack lunch with them. The disciples then pluck some grain, thresh it in their hands, and eat it. Now, if you think you're going to, you know, take too much from a farmer by plucking a few heads of grain, you're not. Uh, you'd take a lot of grain until well, you get to the point where it would actually hurt somebody. And they're not doing that. They're just eating some as they go through. This is going to be an issue for the Pharisees, and it's not like they're going to keep their feelings to themselves about this. Sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're wrong, and today they're wrong. In verse 2, there's always those who appoint themselves as watchdogs over uh, theologically charged actions that others take. And there's a lot of those theologically charged actions where somebody likes to do a certain thing, somebody else thinks it's not biblical, somebody thinks you ought to do this and you don't do that. And they say, well, here's what the Bible says. We get into all kinds of arguments and scuffles about that. And uh, there's always people there to point something out that you didn't do right. It is true that there are right things to do, and it's true that there are wrong things that we should not do. No doubt in our circles that is true today. So I think this is very appropriate because we'll run into these issues. The Pharisees point out what they think about the activity that's going on. The Lord's disciples are harvesting Jesus. Do you get that? They're harvesting. They're working on the Sabbath, which means to them that they are uh, committing sin against God's law because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. They feel compelled to bring it up to Jesus because they're looking for a way to destroy Jesus, a way to shut him up, a way to get him out of the territory, get Jews to stop following him. So here's our chance. It's clear he's doing something wrong, and he's leading these poor disciples in doing it too. And we don't want to stop his influence in Israel. 
And I'm sure they thought, well, we've got him right where we want him now. It's pretty clear what's going on. Clearly, it is the law that is being broken here. You can't possibly explain this evil activity. Now, I'm going to be going to an Old Testament passage. I want you to go with me. And we might as well stay in the law, the first five books of the Bible, because we're going to be looking up uh, quite, a, quite a number of verses uh, in the law. The first place I'd like you to go is to the last book of the Torah, Deuteronomy, chapter 23. And verse 25. Let me just add verse 24 uh, for the context. Deuteronomy 23, 24 and 25. It says this, When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, so here's somebody, they're out walking along, there's a vineyard, let's say they're a little hungry, and you've got all these grapes growing there. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes, until you're fully satisfied, but you shall not put any in your basket. In other words, you're not going to collect a bunch to take with you later, but if you're walking along and you're hungry and your neighbor has some grapes, it's lawful for you in the Old Testament law. You might want to not try that today with your neighbor's stuff, but you, you can take some grapes. You can't, you can't get a bunch of them. You just get as much as you need to, to fulfill your need for hunger. And you can eat it now. Verse 25, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, and it doesn't say which kind of grain, it doesn't matter, then you may pluck the heads with your hands, but you will not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. You can take some grain in your hand, but don't bring your combine out and start harvesting it. That's, that's, that's illegal, but it is legal what they're doing. They're walking through a field, they see some grain, they pick the heads, they're threshing it, and they're eating it, that's perfectly legal. The law has nothing against that. So what is the Pharisees' problem? What's going on here with them? Uh, we note that plucking wheat or barley or whatever you want to say in standing grain that you don't own is allowed in the law. You know what else is allowed? Uh, the social security program in those days was if you're a farmer, God says you leave the corners of your field and the people that are poor and don't have any money and don't have any food, they can go out into that field and the corners that you left, they are free to harvest and sell or eat. And so uh, people have asked, well, how much of my field should I leave? And God's answer is, as much as you can afford to leave. As much as you can. So some people had a lot on the side of their field. Some had very little. You know, It was up to a person's relationship with God to decide how much to give. Just like giving is today. Well, here we find out that they didn't do anything illegal. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus reminds them of an episode of David and his men eating forbidden bread. Now Jesus is going to take somebody who eats bread that the law says he cannot eat, and he's going to do it right out of the temple. And so, yes, uh, we would like to uh, talk about that and look at it. So turn over to 1 Samuel. I guess I said we'd be in the law. We're going to, we're going to slip out just a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 21. These are all in your uh, notes in the bulletin. Let's read what David did. All right? Um, here's the issue you need to know. The episode Jesus picks comes on the heels of David lying to a priest. And he's hungry. And his men are hungry. So it says in verse uh, 21.1, Then David came to Nob and to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David. Why is everybody so afraid of David? Because Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. David was a fierce warrior, and you don't mess with him. He killed Goliath. Remember that? God was with him. 
And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone with no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king, he's talking about Saul, has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and which, you, which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, that's only a half-truth. Saul didn't send him on a mission. There was nothing secretive going on. He's telling Ahimelech that to save the guy's life. Because if he tells him the truth and Ahimelech lets him have it, uh, and uh, Doeg, who's going to has, has his ears listening, who is a servant of Saul, is going to tell him, and Ahimelech could lose his life. But David lied. And he had the men hiding somewhere else. Verse 3, Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from them, as previously we set out, and their vessels of these young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, the bread that is reserved for the priest, that is holy to God, that you're not supposed to eat, only a priest should eat it. He gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence. So it's in the holy place, uh, which was removed from before Yahweh in order to put hot bread in its place uh, when it was taken away. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. And he asked the religious leaders, have you not read that? Did that escape your notice? Did you even see that in the Bible? David, who had no right to take the consecrated showbread before the Lord off the, off the table in, in the presence of God in the holy place, and yet David did, and the priest gave it to him, and David used it and ate it when he really was not supposed to. All right, so Jesus is making his point. In verse 3a, Jesus first questions the religious guides of Israel if whether or not they, they read this scripture. He knows they've read it. He knows that they've got it memorized. But there's a big difference between reading God's Word and knowing what it says and actually having a heart to do what it says. And that's where we all, we all have problems. We know what God says, but are we willing to do it from the heart? And so Jesus points this out. You know, this would be like asking a registered nurse, have you ever given a shot before? Well, of course she's given a shot before. She's given hundreds of shots before. Jesus says, you've never read. Yeah, we've read it forwards and backwards and we have it memorized. They could tell you the middle letter in the Hebrew text of every book, how many words were in it. They knew it, but they didn't know the God of the Bible. And that's a problem. They always knew more than what they lived. Yes, they'd read it, but they didn't understand it according to Jesus. There's such a big difference between those two. And we still fight that today. This is about what David and his companions did one day when they became hungry. And it says that in that 1 Samuel text. And it also says it in our Matthew 12 text. There's, there's a situation where people are hungry. The connection with the disciples of Jesus and warriors of David is purely human need. A connection of human need. Everybody in this situation is hungry. They have no food. All right. These men, while on mission, got hungry with a, with a uh, physical issue, all of us have, uh, they needed food, and the nearest McDonald's was already 3,000 years away. On that day, David and his men entered the house of God, and they ate from the showbread on the consecrated table. They ate consecrated and dedicated bread that was given to Yahweh. 
and that bread was only to be touched or eaten by the priests, not for people like David and his men. So look at Leviticus 24.5. Leviticus 24.5. Jesus knew his Old Testament extremely well, didn't he? Leviticus 24.5-9. to God says, Then you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. That's the table of showbread. And you shall put frankincense on each row, so that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to Yahweh. Every Sabbath day you will set it out in order before Yahweh continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, so the priests and the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him uh, from, from Yahweh's offerings by fire. It is his portion forever. All right, so we have this consecrated bread to the Lord. Only a certain group of people, a very small group of people, the sons of Aaron, are allowed to eat it. Here's David. He's not even really the king yet. And he's walking around. He says, we're hungry. We need some food. Ahimelech says, well, if you've kept yourselves pure from women, then I can go ahead and give you the showbread. So he did that, and they ate it. I think the, uh, probably at this point, <laughs> the Pharisees that were after Jesus, oh, yeah, I remember that story. So David and company broke the written law of God because it was a forbidden action. And Jesus says, have you guys ever read? Do you know what is really going on there? Implication is, apparently, no, they did not. How do you explain what David did not? Yes, these guys are all for David. They love David. It's Jesus they can't stand, but they love David. David can do no wrong. And whatever reason David did that, he had to have a good reason. So we're okay with David. And Jesus knew they were okay with David. But they don't understand it. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after the very heart of God, led his men in an unlawful act. David knows more than the Pharisees, apparently, about God's heart. And that's really what we're talking about. What gave him the right? And that's what Jesus wants to know from those who are standing around accusing his disciples. On what ground do you stand? What right do you have? That's what he wants to know. Well, in verse 5, we learn that priests break God's law every Sabbath by working and yet are innocent. The priests in the temple break God's law every Sabbath and yet God holds them as innocent. Um, I have had people in the past who, as Christians, think that there's a Sabbath for Christians. Can I just say this again? There is no Sabbath day for Christians. There's no such thing. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that Jesus didn't ratify and bring right across to us. Why? Because keeping Sabbath is a sign of you're, you're under the Mosaic Covenant. I'm not, and neither are you. What is the sign of my covenant? Communion. That's the sign of my covenant from the book of Romans. I find that out. And so we do communion, but it's not the Sabbath. Jesus and Paul reiterated one man treats one day special and some other uh, every day is special and some none of the days are special. He said, let each be convinced in his own mind. There is no Sabbath rest for the church. It, it's, it's not us. It's not our covenant. Now, is it a good idea to take a break every, every uh, week once a day? Yeah, but sometimes people play harder and work harder on Sunday than they do the other days. I don't, we don't have a Sabbath, but I've had people tell me, 
this Sunday is the Sabbath and, and you can't work. I said, well, I work every Sabbath. I, I teach, I preach. And I had one person tell me, but that's not work. Uh, okay, I don't know what I'm doing there, but I said, if I didn't show up, you probably wouldn't like it. I'm just home relaxing. Uh, no. And uh, I do work on the Sabbath, but I'm not breaking any law. I contend that I am working, and the priests were too. Jesus wants to know how the priests can break the law by working on the Sabbath. They're doing sacrifices on the Sabbath. The book of the law tells them they have to, and yet they're innocent of breaking the Sabbath. God who sets Sabbath rules is the one who commands the priest what to do on the Sabbath. So let's look at Numbers 28.9. We're going to have a good Old Testament background on this, uh, this part in the book of Matthew. I love it. Okay, Numbers 28, 9, and 10. This is to the priests. 28, 9. The other lamb you will offer at twilight as a grain offering of the morning and as a drink offering. You shall offer it an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and grain offering and drink offering. Okay, that's the, and verse 10 says, this is the burnt offering every Sabbath. Well, who's going to do that if we can't work? Well, guess who? The priests are going to do it. So they're actually breaking the Sabbath by working. Verse 18 of uh, Numbers 28. On the first day, it shall be a holy convocation. That's Sunday, the Sabbath. You shall do, I'm sorry, that's Saturday, the Sabbath, not Sunday. You shall do no laborious work. You shall present an offering by fire, a burnt offering to Yahweh, two bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old, having, uh, having them without defect. So what we see there is, God says, don't do any work on the Sabbath, but by the way, these offerings will be done on the Sabbath. So they break the Sabbath, the priests do, but God doesn't hold them accountable for breaking the Sabbath. How could God do that? We're going to find out in just a minute. Well, this seems to be a contradiction. In verse 6, we find out how they can do that. And I'm talking about in Matthew, uh, our, our verse 6 there. We learn that Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. Huh, who would have thought that? Not the Pharisees. <laughs> Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. By implication, he is greater than David and the temple then. The one who is greater than the Sabbath certainly has a right to decide what is, let me throw out a Jewish term, what is kosher? In other words, what the Jews have said, this is uh, holy and pure and has been taken care of the right way. Uh, this is kosher on the Sabbath. And then what is forbidden on the Sabbath? Who decides that? Well, apparently God does. The hypocrite here is not Jesus. The hypocrite is a group of Pharisees. If a Pharisee's ox was stuck in the mud on a Sabbath, Jesus uh, is, is very sure that he would go get another ox, put a rope around it, and pull it out. Keep it out of the mud so it'll live. And that's work. And uh, that's exactly what, what goes on uh, in the Old Testament law. They're allowed to do that. They're allowed to take those animals out. Even if it's on the Sabbath. You can say, well, it's the Sabbath. I can't, I can't help my uh, ox who got himself in this, uh, all this bad mud. But they do. And Jesus says, Something greater than the temple is here. And he means himself. They're not going to buy that. Uh, those religious leaders as a whole do not see any value in Jesus. Period. Not that he is greater than the Sabbath for sure. But he is. 
verse 7 in our text. I want to say what that means is this. If we realize that God desires compassion over sacrifice, we would not condemn people wrongly for breaking a law of God for a right or, you could say, for an acceptable reason. What Jesus is saying, you guys accusing my men of harvesting on the Sabbath when they're hungry, we're not breaking the law, taking more than what we should, but they're hungry, it's the Sabbath, it's okay for them to eat. And they want to say, well, who says so? And Jesus says, I say so. You don't understand the Old Testament. You don't understand what Hosea wrote. God desires that, that, not that you do your sacrifices and your offerings. He desires that you have obedience and knowledge to Him. And that you have some compassion in the way you handle things. And uh, this, this is difficult to work out, let's admit it, but it can be worked out. First, we must grasp that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And you can read those very words uh, of Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. That's also in your bulletin. Jesus said, God made Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. And these Pharisees are trying to make people worship the Sabbath instead of God and not seeing that there are things that can happen on the Sabbath that are okay. I just told you we don't have a Sabbath, so you don't have to worry about that. But what you do need to worry about, do you have the heart of God? Do you have compassion and mercy when it's necessary to have compassion and mercy? Do you? And do you stick to the law where you, you really need to stick to the law? Boy, that's a tough question. It is. Anyway, what does it mean? Here it means that hunger outweighs the no-work law of the Sabbath. That's exactly what it means. And Jesus says, get off their back. They're hungry people. Hunger is a serious human need, not an issue of recreation, pleasure, or self-indulgence. So I'm saying if you're not going to do what God tells you to do, if you're not going to follow His Word and do what, you, what God tells you to do, make sure that it has something to do with a real issue that somebody needs help with and not just a matter of, well, because of my recreation, my pleasure, or my self-indulgence, I'm not going to do what God tells me to do. Hmm. Really? Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6, and we read that. And I want to read it again. Speaking for God, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God desires compassion and not sacrifice. If it's between sacrificing or being a person of compassion, God says compassion wins when the two conflict. Consider this there is a difference between needs of compassion and desire for sinful self-indulgence. Where you simply say, yeah, I know God says that. Forget God. I'm not going to do that. Well, why aren't you going to do it? Because I don't think it's merciful and compassionate. Why? Well, because that's what you want to do, even though it goes against God's Word. That's what you want to do. That's the wrong reason. Compassion is for genuine need, not for sinful passions. Or so you can totally disregard God's Word. That's not the case. We don't want to tip the boat the wrong way and sink or tip it this way and sink. Uh, we've got to have some uh, balance there. It is not applicable where the law forbids and yet requires this 
as long as a requirement is the only thing being engaged in. Sacrifice cannot take place on the Sabbath if the priest doesn't work. Now, I've had some trouble following what I just said, so did I. Uh, but I found the more I read it, the more it made sense to me. You can always watch this on Facebook and say, what was he talking about? And I've got some other things that may get a little sticky too here in a minute. All right, but that's, that's where I'm at on this. If it were true that compassion overturns every law, get this point, don't miss this, this is one you might want to review. If it's true that compassion has the power to overturn every law of God, uh, then Yahweh would have made compassion the only law. If that's all that counts, why not just make compassion the only law? But he didn't. So we want to walk carefully. So what is compassion, not sacrifice? That's the issue. What is compassion, not sacrifice? What is knowledge rather than burnt offerings to God? It has something to do with your heart, friend, and my heart. So let me say this, and I think there's a place for you to write this down. It's going to take some thought. It is connection, not conciliation. It is obedience not obligation. It is veracity, not veneration. It is relationship, not ritual. I wonder how ingrained things like the Old Testament Sabbath ethic is in the church of Christ. Any amount is too much. Let me show you how this works out on the battlefield. 1 Samuel 15. Saul was sent to destroy the Amalekites. And uh, he saved their king alive. And he has an excuse for that. And also the people saw some of the good, good animals. They, they kept them too. The, these people were into the band. Everything in their territory was to be put to death. Everything. Agag, their king, should not be standing there when Samuel the prophet shows up. Samuel was coming to have a, maybe a celebratory offering to God for the victory of Israel. And he gets there, and there's Agag standing there. And he, he says to Saul, what did you do? And he said, I did what the Lord told me. And <laughs> No, you did not. If you did what the Lord told you, why is, why is Agag here? And what are these animals doing over here? That's not the animals they use for the for the uh, soldiers so that they could you know, eat. It's not that at all. And they, they took some of the Amalekites' animals and he said, oh, well, we wanted to sacrifice those to your God. Okay, uh, Samuel's smarter than that. And Samuel asking this question in 1 Samuel 15:22. Samuel said, Has Yahweh as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Right. Does God really delight in, in burnt offerings and sacrifices uh, as much as He does when somebody obeys? Answer, no, He does not. If it's not out of obedience, the sacrifices mean nothing. Saul, you did not obey. Behold, he said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, there's something greater than religious ritual. And that is that your heart is in the ritual and you do what God tells you to do. And he says, and to heed, to listen, to do, and to heed then the fat of rams. And then, then uh, Samuel calls it rebellion, for rebellion, which is marah. It means to cast off God's restraints. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. 
and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being the king of Israel. What did He do? He had this misguided application in life that if I do these sacrifices for God, even though I got there in the wrong way and I'm not obeying, God will be happy with the sacrifices. And that's why we find out you know, God owns everything anyway. Why is your sacrifice going to make such a big deal to him? He's not after your sacrifice. He's after your heart. And if we have some hungry men in the field and they're not breaking the law by taking more and wielding a sickle in the standing grain, they just want something to eat. God says, this is where compassion comes in. This is where mercy comes in. We're not going to accuse these guys or put them to death because they worked on the Sabbath. And that's the whole point. Because preservation of life is more important than the technical requirement of the law when we need to do so. Let me use a modern illustration. A young lady decides she can't handle a baby, so she wants to have an abortion. And you're telling her, don't abort that baby. Well, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. How am I going to live with that? You say, yeah, but God, you know, you go to Exodus, says that God, God shows that's murder. Don't do it. And she says to you, boy, you have no mercy or compassion for me at all, do you? Is your God really like that? Does your God really say I should keep this child and I have to put up with some of the bad stuff that goes along with that? And that's the time we'd have to say, yeah, that is what I'm saying. And we can't just get out of what God tells us to do because it's convenient to. And that's the, that's the thing we have to watch out for. Whenever a thirsty person needs a drink, even if it's during the church service, give it to them. Now, we're not talking coffee and other things that are not required in the sanctuary. I had to throw that in. Yeah, give them a drink. We learned this. Number one, when sacrifice must be overruled by compassion, and there are times it is, then there is no condemnation given from God. you get that? That's what happened there. When sacrifice must be overruled by compassion, then there's no condemnation given. Secondly, compassion is not to be used just because we don't want to obey as much as we possibly can obey. Sacrifice is not to be used just because we don't like something God said. I mean, I'm sorry. Compassion is not to be used just because we don't like something God said. That's not a good excuse. Then I want to end by just reading something from Matthew chapter 9, and then we'll be done, 9, 9 to 13. As a part of our last application there, 9, 9 to 13. Jesus went out from there, and he he saw and called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Another, another account of this in the, in the, in the uh, gospel says, he invited, Levi invited them on purpose. He wanted them to meet Jesus. He wanted them to see the guy he was going to be following. Anyway, when the Pharisees saw this, there they are again, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician. He does not mean the Pharisees are healthy, this is a saying, but those that are sick. But go and learn what this means. So now he's getting 
right in the face of the Pharisees. Go and learn what this means. Guess what it is? Hosea 6, 6. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. And that was a veiled attack on the Pharisees as well. The point is this. That's twice we've seen Jesus use that. There's a time for compassion. And then we've set aside some of what God said to do. We'll answer to God for how we do that. I just want you to know it's there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this day and for this time together. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom that we need. Uh, The wisdom that uh, tells us when there's a time for mercy and compassion and we forego the letter of the law and when we stick to the letter of the law. And Father, I pray that you would help us uh, not to say that just so somebody can feel good about sinning, but because of somebody who has a genuine need and needs help. And I ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen.